welcome. Welcome, you guys. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you were, uh, made it out this morning in the rain and the weather to, to worship with us. And um, I'd just like to give a round of applause for our worship team, Nate and Jules, our sound techs. Yeah. I, I had that moment where I was like, I'm going to have to go preach after that? Like, that, that was really good. Really good worship. Thank you. A lot of work goes into that and a lot of work. Uh, goes into a lot of stuff that we do at Grace Chapel. You know, we had an event yesterday. It's hard to tell by the weather, but we had a fall family fun day yesterday. And if you missed it, I am truly sorry for you because it was an incredible time. We had a lot of fun. I got really wet and really cold in the dunk tank, and so did my, my friend Chase, who was up here earlier. Uh, but we had a lot of fun, and I just want to give a shout-out to a couple people. Uh, we know from Scripture that we are supposed to acknowledge those that work hard among us. And so Jen Menzer, Stacy Neagle, Amy Norris, and Carol uh, Cyrus worked really hard to set all that up. Can we give them a round of applause? Yes. A lot of planning. I, I was more involved in the planning last year, and it, and it kept me up at night because it was a lot to cover. So those, those women worked hard. We had a ton of volunteers show up before and after and during to make everything go smooth. So it was a wild success, and the Lord luckily preserved the weather uh, because this storm was coming. So uh, we, had a, we had a good uh, hot day to, to get it all done. So um, welcome. You know, this is the last day of our series together. Um, our series called Together. We, I'm going to keep being with you. It's going to continue. Don't worry. I hope it's going to continue. I'm excited. No, our series Together has been six weeks, and this is the last week, and I'm excited about this week. It's kind of all been building up to today, and I'm excited to dig into that to look at what we're, um, we're going to do from here on out, and we're going to start a new series next week called The Power of Routine, and it's about spiritual habits and disciplines. I'm really excited about it, especially right in the middle of the year where we really need to focus on our, our own spiritual disciplines. So, but let me just open us in prayer as we get started, and then we can dig into our passage Lord Jesus, uh, thank you so much for meeting us here. Thank you for moving in us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving in this place. Um, it is, is such a joy and a treat and a pleasure to worship you with people that love you and care about you. Um, God, I ask that you would be in this place, that you would continue to move. And Lord, I ask that you would speak um, to your people today this morning, that you would get me out of the way long enough to speak to them in the way that they need to be spoken to. Lord, I ask that you would move us in our hearts now as we look at your word. In your name, amen. Well, it's been a wild ride. I have honestly, probably my favorite series since I started here at Grace Chapel has been this Together series. I have learned so much about you. I hope you've learned a lot about me, and I hope we've learned a lot together about what a church looks like. We use this word, ecclesia, and that's the word Jesus used to describe his church. And, and we learned a lot about how to bear each other's burdens, how to lift each other up, how to hold each other accountable. We've talked about the future. We've talked about the past. And here we stand in the present going, okay, what's next? And that's what together is all about. It's about linking arms. It's about partnership. It's about committing to one another that we are going to be the church as best as we are able that God wants us to be. And God is so good, and he's so gracious with us, and he's patient with us, and he walks us into the future, being the Grace Chapel that God designed for Clifton Park and for the Capital District. And it's been a wild ride. It's exciting. Um, I'm a little nervous about the future. I hope that we um, continue to let God lead us in the way that he's promised to. You know the interesting thing about commitment 
we talk about togetherness and partnership is there seems to need a verbal communication, a verbal commitment. I didn't tell my wife I was going to do this, but you know, in our marriage, there's been a lot of times, a lot of times, where she walks by and she's wearing a new set of clothes or something, and I go, wow, you know, she's really cute. That's nice. And I keep that to myself. And I later find out that doesn't do any credit. I don't get any credit for thinking these thoughts. I have to say these thoughts. And we'll go a several months, and Jen will say, you know, um, have you noticed my outfit or the way I've been doing my hair? And I go, yeah, I love it. And she's like, why do you say anything? And I'm like, oh, I thought I, okay, I'll, I'll speak more. What kind, of, what kind of relationship would be built on non-communication? I do a lot of weddings. I'm involved in a lot of marriages, giving counselors just friendship and prayer. And, and if, if a couple came to me and said, hey, listen, you know, we're thinking about getting married, but we want to keep it a secret. We don't want anybody to know that we're getting married. I would say, wow, sounds mysterious, but we're going to have to do some more digging as to why that is. Because when you commit to someone like your spouse, it's the kind of commitment that you want the world to know about. You want to shout it from the rooftops that you are marrying this person and you cannot wait to start your life together with them. It's interesting, we as people are this way and we know this instinctively. We know we have to verbally commit to things for that commitment to mean a little more. Sometimes we commit to stuff, you know, kind of on, on the down low and we don't say anything until we're really sure and then we know that we have to come out and say, okay, I'm committed to this thing. It works in the same way in my marriage when something's bothering me. Jen knows when I shut the garage door that something's bothering me. The way I shut the garage door and I come in the hallway, she knows. And the first thing she'll say to me as I walk down the hallway is, what's wrong? And I'll say, oh, nothing's wrong. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm fine. I think it's harder to read me, but I'm, I'm sure it's easy to read me. And she knows. And she'll say, I know something's wrong. you got to tell me. And I'll be like, no, nothing's wrong. Leave me alone. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then she'll say, okay, fine. You take your time. But when you're ready to talk about what I know is bothering you, you come and talk to me. And every time I do, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's even frustrating. But it's always better in the end. It's always better in the end to say, you know what? This thing bothers me. Can we talk about this? There's tact there involved. You need to be able to do this in love. If we think about it, a lot of our relationships in life are this way. If something bothers you that your boss does over and over and over, and you never say anything about it, politely or gently, it's going to eat at you. It's just going to be that one of those weird things that your boss does, or that coworker that just constantly talks to you when you're trying to get a bunch of work done, Right? And if you don't say, listen, you know, I really appreciate you and I really want to talk to you, but I got this project I got to get done. If you don't say anything, it just gets worse. So we know this about ourselves. We know that we have to speak what's inside. We have an interesting story this morning, and I'm so excited about it. And we had Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus and his disciples um, uh, walked around the countryside for for three years before Jesus came to the cross, died for our sins, rose again, and is now seated at the right-hand throne of God. His disciples got to see everything firsthand. And one of my favorite disciples is Peter. Peter has this tendency to speak first and think like fourth, I think. Not even like think second. It's like he's way back there when he's thinking. 
So he says things, and, and sometimes they're brilliant. Sometimes it's the spirit that moves him, and he says something, and, and Jesus says, yes, Peter, that came from God. That is perfect. And other times he says stuff, and you're like, oh, that was a couple times he tried to rebuke Jesus, and that can go over super well, and he had to think through what he was going to say before he should have said it. Well, as Jesus and the disciples are on the last night, it's the Passover feast, and they're celebrating Passover. Jerusalem is packed for this feast, and they have a, a, the room, and they're sitting there talking, and Jesus says something really strange, and he says, listen, guys, where I'm going, you're not going to be able to follow. And Peter blurts out his response before he had time to think about it. He's like, where would you go that I can't follow? I would die for you. And the room goes silent. It's like, whoa, Peter took that really serious, you know. And Jesus looks at him, and I can imagine a, a, a tenderness in his face, and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the, crow, the, the, the rooster crows tomorrow morning. And Peter's offended. He's like, why would you say that? I would never deny you. And that's where we pick this story up. It's going to be in Luke's gospel chapter 22 Jesus from there takes his disciples into the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and his three disciples are closest to him and the rest are sitting and waiting and, and he keeps coming back after he prays a little bit and they're asleep and he says come on guys you got to stay awake you got to stay awake you got to stay awake and it's later later and later in the early in the morning at this point and and finally Judas who had been mysteriously absent all night shows up with a group of guards and Judas the Iscariot betrays Jesus and as he betrays Jesus with a kiss the soldiers take him into custody they take Jesus into custody and that's where we pick this story up chapter 22 verse 54 then seizing him Jesus they laid him uh, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest Peter the one who speaks first and thinks fourth or fifth followed at a distance and some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together and Peter sat down with them a servant girl, a servant girl saw him and seated there in the firelight she looked closely at him and said this man was with him but he denied it woman I don't know him he said a little while later someone else saw him and said you are one of them Man, I am not, Peter, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, some distance away, turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord that had been spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. This is that time in Peter's life that he probably will remember with great accuracy for his entire life. One of his biggest blunders. And it's completely public. The prophecy that Jesus prophesied over him was public at supper the night before, and now he publicly disowns or, or denies knowing the Lord that he swore he would die for. You can imagine what Peter must be feeling after that. 
brutal, gut-wrenching. It says he wept bitterly. It's the kind of weeping you don't want people to hear. And that's where Peter, that's where we leave Peter in our story. Made a huge mistake. He was scared. This is the one time Peter thought too much. He thought too much about what he was going to say. And as they led Jesus away through the garden, he's following at a distance. I can imagine his mind going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to die for him. I, this is it. I'm going to be killed. And the fear crept into his heart. He was so scared. And he thought he was disguised enough to go warm himself by the fire, but they recognized him. And he had to think quick. He thought quick and he backed out and, no, 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 I don't know him, I don't know him. Three times. As Peter goes away weeping bitterly, I can imagine him thinking hard about his life. What's he going to do now? Where's he going to go now? Now I want to fast forward. Peter, or Jesus, rises from the grave and he interacts with his disciples. And and after a, a considerable period of time, he ascends into heaven and the disciples find themselves in Jerusalem. And they're scared to death that the Pharisees and the rulers and the Romans are going to find out where they are and crucify them too. So they're locked up tight in a a little room. And and just as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And they have this sense of power and courage and they begin to speak in other languages. And they burst out into the street with this newfound courage and excitement. And they begin witnessing to the people around them. And it's this huge um, scene happens. This is Passover. City, they say, estimate, they estimate would, would, would grow in size up to five times, maybe even ten times the size of the city normal. That's what would happen when the feasts would happen. Huge growth. City is packed. You can barely walk. And they're out there telling people in their own languages about Jesus. And Peter the one that denied Jesus, that couldn't handle a couple people around a fire knowing that he was with the Lord that was just arrested. This is the same Peter, and this is what he says in Acts chapter 2, verses 14. He said, the crowd is going crazy, and Peter stood up with the other eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. Whoa, Peter. Nothing like setting the tone. Nothing like setting the stage. You can imagine the other disciples going, whoa. What's he going to say now? Peter, have you thought this through? Have you thought through what you're going to say? Because there's a lot of people right now that probably want to kill us, and you've just all brought attention to us, so so what are you going to say? And Peter digs deep. And he presents the gospel. Really for the first time in Peter's life, he presents the gospel in a way that moves people. And this is the way he ends his first sermon. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
with many words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They went from 12 to 3,000 in about a 30-minute span because of Peter and his boldness and his courage. What happened to Peter? The guy that couldn't even face a servant girl who was accusing him of just being with Jesus now puts his life and his brother's lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. What happened to Peter? Well, a lot happened to Peter. A lot happened to Peter, and and there's a lot of theories and a lot of ideas about what exactly happened to Peter in the 12. And one of the big things is the Holy Spirit. He got this courage. The Holy Spirit now resides in Peter, and, and the Spirit is telling him what to say, and he's got this boldness. And that's wonderful. But I think there's something else that that gets overlooked a little bit. So I want to go back to the first time Jesus interacts with Peter since Jesus was raised from the dead. This is John chapter 21, 21, starting in verse 15. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Here's another opportunity for Peter. A very similar question was asked the night that Jesus was betrayed. Aren't you with him? Don't you agree with him? Aren't you one of his followers, one of his disciples? Haven't you been with him? Aren't you guilty of the same things that he's guilty of? Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Imagine he kind of mumbles it, you know. You know I love you. Leave me alone. I'm embarrassed. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And the third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing there? Some say he was reinstating Peter. Some even go as far as Peter had denied Christ and therefore Peter wasn't saved. And now Jesus is bringing him back into into the the family, and I think that's a bit of a stretch. But what was Jesus doing? I think Jesus was getting Peter to say something that Peter needed to say publicly. Jesus wanted Peter, probably for Peter's sake, to speak his commitment. And it's important. Peter can't be a follower of Jesus on the DL. (laughs) He can't be super secret about it. Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus knows that there's 3,000 souls that are going to be saved when this guy speaks. Peter needs to speak. He needs to show his commitment. Some say that Jesus wanted Peter to prove to Jesus that Peter was committed. I think Jesus knew he was committed. 
Jesus knew Peter's heart. Jesus wanted Peter to know that Peter was committed. Jesus is convincing Peter of what Jesus already knows. That Peter is going to have the church of Jesus built on him. And Jesus is saying, I know. I know what you said. I know how you felt. I know what it meant. But I need to hear you say it for your sake. And he did. We know this instinctively. We know that when you stand up publicly and commit to something, it means more. Just like the day that I stood up and publicly committed to my wife. Upcoming those weeks to my wedding day, I knew what I was going to say. I'd rehearsed it. I knew what she was going to say. She'd rehearsed it. We'd worked with the minister. Everything was set. But as the day drew closer, I became more and more humbled by what was about to happen. I was just a young kid. But it sunk in deep that when I stand publicly before my friends and before God and before the minister and before my wife, that I better mean what I'm about to say. Because it's for life. Public profession of togetherness. Public confession of commitment. Everybody in that church knew I can't do it perfectly. But they need to hear that I'm going to try. We know that we have to speak in order for to make commitment deeper. And this is where we are at Grace Chapel. This is where we are today. After five weeks of talking about what it means to be church, what it means to be together, what it means to be the ecclesia of Jesus. We know how to lift each other up, how to bear each other's burdens, how to rejoice with each other and how to mourn with each other and how to be close, how to hold each other accountable. We know all those things. Now it's time to commit. Now it's about commitment. And it's no secret, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, Grace Chapel is a membership church. Because of my age, my demographic, there's some history with the word membership for me. Membership's a tough word. Membership's a tough word for me to get by, to get through. And as I've been working on this series, I've been thinking, I need to, I need to say this to the church. This is, this is right. This is biblical for me to say. Now is the time to commit. Now is the time to stand up. We're a membership-based church. We, are a, we value commitment at Grace Chapel. We value intentionality. And we want to create opportunities for people to publicly commit. A couple weeks, I get to dedicate a child. Easily my top two or even three things to do as a pastor. I love children. I love babies. And I love standing up here in front of you with a family that says, we publicly want to commit to raising this child the best that we can in view of God's love and God's grace and the hope that they will accept Jesus one day as their Savior. Oh, 
That makes my, my heart swell just thinking about the opportunity that's coming. This is what we value at Grace Chapel. We love it. We love it when we get to do baptisms here. Because it's a public statement of saying, look at what God did to my heart. And I want everybody to know. I don't want to keep this quiet. I don't want, to be this, I don't want this to be a secret. I want it to be a big deal. Because it's a big deal to my heart. I absolutely love that. Tuesday mornings, um, I have a men's group that meets, kind of take over a coffee shop in Clifton Park, and um, we haven't gotten in trouble yet for it, so we're going to keep going, but um, we study the scripture together, and one of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple weeks is our commitment to each other. As men that follow Jesus, as men that have been given a new life through Jesus Christ, we are told to fellowship with one another. We are told to hold each other accountable. Through scripture, we are told to, to fellowship and, and, and sharpen each other. And we do that with scripture. And it gives me so much pleasure to sit with a bunch of guys who are willing to hold me accountable and I'm willing to hold them accountable. To say to each other, yes, we're going to be in fellowship together. It's uncomfortable at times, hard at times, but this is our commitment to each other. I know there's a lot of fear associated with commitment. I know there's a lot of fear around it. And I can understand it. Being in uh, college ministry for a number of years, I would do college retreats and um, events and worship services and things. And I would go on college campuses in the local area and ask college students that I'd known, you know, like, hey, you want to come to our retreat with us? We're going, we're going up in the mountains this, this fall. And, and their, their response unanimously was almost always the same. Maybe. Maybe. And I would always get so frustrated with that. Like, come on, just commit. Like, you do it or yes, yes or no. Just tell me yes or no. And they went, well, I mean, I want to do it. But something else might be coming along, you know. Something better might be coming along. And so there's this hesitation to commit. I get it. I get it. It's hard to commit. And if you're married or you've thought about being married, it's a sobering fact to commit to something like that. The word membership has some negative connotations, I think, in our culture that I want to talk about. Membership, to some of us, implies elitism. It implies there's a group of people that are just a little bit better than everybody else. To me, it implies that. It implies this exclusivity. Only the, the good people can join, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that's not what membership is. <laughs> it's not what membership is at Grace Chapel. That's a word, and it might mean something to you personally, but that's not what it's about at this church. Membership or partnership, it's about a public commitment. It's about saying, hey, this is my church. These are my brothers and sisters, and I care more about them than I do anybody else. I love them. I want to be with them. I want this group and this church to grow. And that's the point. That's the reason for commitment. God gives us this opportunity. And I can't speak for you guys, but in my life, every time I've publicly committed to something that's of God, God does amazing things with it. And he changes my heart a little bit for the better. Good things come from public commitment. This is the main idea this morning. Togetherness is better when we publicly commit to partner with each other. Togetherness is better when we publicly commit 
to partner with each other. And I came in as a pastor, so I got it easy. I'm already a member. I didn't have to stand up and say, hey guys, I'm just an average guy here at the church. I'm willing to commit to you. I'm going to show up when I can. I'm going to give what I can. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to commit to you. I kind of came in on, on, the, on the, the advanced track. <laughs> but it means the same to me. Commitment is a big deal. And I believe commitment is a big deal to God. And if we just take a minute, just, just take a second and think about what Grace Chapel looks like 10 years, two years down the road, if more and more and more people publicly commit to being here, it doesn't mean that Grace Chapel operates perfectly. Doesn't definitely doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect. It doesn't mean our elder board's going to be perfect. But it does mean we're going to work together. And it is so good to link arms with brothers and sisters that have said, yes, this is me and I'm in because this is what I want to do. What would it be like if 80%, 90% of the people that walk through our door within a couple months committed to being partners? What would our church be like? I don't necessarily care about the size, but man, the life that we would live together, the joy, the partnership, we would mourn together, we would rejoice together. And you're going, wait, 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 that's Grace Chapel, we already do that, I know, but I want to do it more. <laughs> I want more of that, and I think you do too. This is what it looks like for us practically. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're the kind of person that has been showing up to Grace Chapel for years. Maybe you're the kind of person that has been showing up for years. That you show up early and you leave late. And you're not doing it for thanks. You're doing it because you want to serve. You're the silent partner. <laughs> Maybe you've never taken that last step and said, yes, I am a partner. I've been a partner for years. This is who I am. If that's you, I would encourage you. Take that last step with us. Let's make this official. Let's go public with our relationship. <laughs> Maybe that's not you. Maybe you've been coming for a period of time and um, you're not really sure. You're not really sure if Grace Chapel is your place or not. You're trying to discern what the Spirit wants you and your family to do. You're not sure exactly what Grace Chapel believes and how it all works out. And you're not sure. And I get that. I get that. So this is what I would say to you. Let's do some homework together. Let me tell you a little bit about our church. Grab an elder. Sit down over a cup of coffee. Say, how did you guys get started? Tell me about stories of Grace Chapel. Tell me about what, what's happened here. What does it mean to be a partner? What does it mean to be a member? Grab that constitution and bylaws. Read through it. Highlight it. Mine's all tore up. Got highlights, notes, scribbles. You can get it. From the office. I think it's on our website. If it's not, it will be soon. Read it through. Let's do some homework. Maybe you just got started, like a couple weeks old. You're not, you're like, whoa, pastor's already talking about membership. I don't, I don't even know if I want to come here next week, you know? That's fine. You're welcome. I love you. I want you to stay. I don't want you to feel pressure. It's not about pressure. 
I would like to propose that we get to know each other a little bit. This pastor talking about membership on your first Sunday, <laughs> that's like proposing on the first date, right? <laughs> I've heard stories, okay? <laughs> Doesn't always go well. <laughs> Sometimes it does. So just take a little time. Get to know us. Get to know the way we do things. Get to know the way we want to do things, the way we're trying to do things. Visit a life group or two. Come, come see my life group. I've got a couple that run throughout the week. Come join us for a couple weeks. See what you think. Sit down. Ask me some questions. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Oh, or Steve. Don't, don't want to spend too much money. <laughs> Sit down oh, with an elder. Our elders would love to do this with you. Sit down with them and say, tell me about it. I want to know. Let's get to know each other. But we all need to move forward towards partnership. And it's the way God intended it. So remember, togetherness is better when we publicly commit to partner with each other. It's the truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have just to be here with you and to think about the commitment that you've made to us. The covenant that you made with us. And Lord, I ask that you would stir in our hearts, whatever it looks like where we are now, that we would take that next step towards deeper and deeper commitment <clears throat> to you and to each other. Lord, I love this church, and I want us to be tighter than we've ever been. I want us to grow like we've never grown. I want us to honor you in new ways. I want to use the past to get us there. I want to use the present to get us there. But Lord, I desperately want you to lead us into this future of more and more and more partnership. Lord, I ask that there would be people in this room that are stirred by this, that are ready to maybe make, make that next step. Maybe it's not yet a public statement, but the next step on the journey. And Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you have surrounded me with such wonderful people that love you. In your name, amen.